If you have a pen or pencil and a piece of paper, if that's your preferred way of taking notes, or perhaps you prefer your smartphone, um, what I'd like you to do is get out, open up your notes app, and uh, open up a new note. And I'm going to give you an exercise to do. We'll do it together for about a minute. Uh, so if you have a pencil, pen, piece of paper, uh, smartphone, tablet, if you have none of those things with you, that's okay. Um, I'm going to encourage you when I ask you to kind of record some things just to close your eyes and make a mental list. Fair enough? Um, so here's what I want you to do, and some of you have done this multiple times over the last few days, uh, but I'd love for you to indulge me and do it again. Uh, if you could make a list of some of the things that you are most grateful for, uh, the things that you are most thankful for, the people you're most thankful for, but, but here's one stipulation I want to place on it. I want you to be specific. Uh, don't settle for the general, I'm thankful for my family. Uh, don't settle for the general, uh, I'm thankful for a, a job. I'm thankful for a home. I want you to be more specific than that. I'm, I'm thankful for uh, my son because I'm thankful for my job or a coworker. List five or, or more specific things you're thankful for, however many you can get in a minute. I'm gonna do the exact same thing and, and then we'll go on. So again, if you have your tablet, your phone, your, your paper, if you don't, just close your eyes and kind of make that mental inventory yourself. So I'll give you about a minute. Go ahead and record those things you're most thankful for. All right, that's about a minute. Um, I won't prohibit you from continuing to make a list. Uh, what I want you to do is look back over your list, or if you made it mentally, think back over your list. Again, perhaps in the last few days you've been asked to do this uh, a number of times. I know we had what we called a Friendsgiving uh, last Tuesday, and we had placemats on our table, and, we, and, and the placemats had a place to write what you're grateful for. Uh, we, we took the same uh, placemats to... Uh, our, our family's home in, in Illinois. And so I'm guessing that you in some way have participated in this exercise. Do you understand just how um, powerful a simple practice like intentionally recognizing what you're grateful for uh, does for your life? How it shapes the way you encounter the world around you? It transforms your experience of what's happening to you and in you, 
Um, I, some of the things I wrote down, I wrote down Audrey, her patience and grace uh, that was on display with a multitude of family members over the last few days. My boys, they're learning to navigate life with Jesus as their, their true north. There were some challenges over the last few days that it was neat to see them, uh, you know, kind of rise to the occasion and, 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 and navigate things with, with God kind of leading the way. What was it for you? Just recognizing those simple things can transform the way you see the world. Some of you may doubt that, and I hope that you'll be convinced by the end of our time together this morning. I found this statement, this saying, it's probably a quote, um, but I, I don't know who, who, who wrote it uh, several years ago. It says, if you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. If you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. I imagine it, you know, kind of on a wooden sign in one of those boutiques of handmade goods somewhere, maybe a piece of reclaimed wood. Uh, I imagine it on a, on a farmhouse wall for somebody somewhere, maybe in their kitchen or, or above the mantle in their fireplace. If you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. Do you and I understand that there is an inseverable link between gratitude and happiness. And there are a number of definitions for happiness, right? Uh, but at their foundation, they hold this, that it's the sense of wholeness and purpose and, and overwhelming joy. How many of us understand that gratitude is one of the gatekeepers for the joy and the happiness that you long for? That the simple practice of, of giving thanks can, can open up a world for you of God's goodness that's present in every moment. Do I understand that if I forget the language of gratitude, then I'll never have that deep relationship with joy that I hunger for, that we all hunger for, let alone be uh, on speaking terms with her. If we've forgotten the language of gratitude, we'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. Have you forgotten the language of gratitude? You, you can do the research yourself. There is an overwhelming movement within science right now that's studying the connection between gratitude and our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health. Uh, there's study after study that's connecting gratitude to your wellness um, I don't know if you listen to public radio, but on Thursday, a uh, special aired, aired on public radio um, that uh, was pre-recorded. I actually listened to it earlier in the week. Uh, it was narrated or hosted by Susan Sarandon. It was called The Science of Gratitude. At the very beginning of that radio broadcast, they speak about this study that was done at the University of California at San Diego, the campus there. Uh, the study was done on heart patients. The heart patients went through a comprehensive uh, cardiovascular screening. All 180 of the participants were um, identified as having recognizable uh, risky heart conditions, whatever the proper medical terms for that is. Uh, and so they invited them to participate in this research study. Half of the group uh, was given a journal and asked to come into a clinic each day and they would record uh, for a specific period of time things that they were grateful for. The other half of the group was just asked to continue with what they were doing, maybe change their diet and stop in for their regular appointments. Over a period of eight weeks, 
Half of the group recorded day after day, minute after minute, things they were thankful for. The other half just continued with life as, as they saw fit. Here's the findings. This is written by Paul Mills, a professor of family medicine and public health at the University of California, uh, San Diego. Here's what he writes. We found that those patients who kept gratitude journals for those eight weeks showed reductions in circulating levels of several important inflammatory biomarkers, as well as an increase in heart rate variability while they journaled. Improved heart rate variability is considered a measure of reduced cardiac risk. It seems that a more grateful heart is indeed a more healthy heart, and that gratitude journaling is an easy way to support cardiac health. That's written by a professor, medical professional, connecting gratitude with your heart health. That's captivating to me. I came across another study. Uh, there was a university, and I don't remember where, where about 300 participants came in, uh, most of them college students. Uh, they were coming in to seek uh, counseling. They were given thorough evaluations. They all met this standard, whatever it was, of being in low mental health. Before they began treatment, they were asked if they wanted to participate in this research study. Uh, 300 of them agreed, and a third of them were told to each week write a letter of gratitude to someone in their life. They didn't have to send it, but they wanted them to write it. A third of the group was asked to really think through the negative experiences in their life and how that impacted them and maybe led to their experience uh, of low mental health. And then the other third was just asked to go to treatment and see what happens. And over the weeks, as they continued to seek treatment, they got to the place where counseling ended for all of them, and they had these exit evaluations. And the evaluators said that there were marked signs of improvement in the mental health of those that recorded each week a letter of gratitude. What's the point? The point is this, that if we've forgotten the language of gratitude, we'll probably never be on speaking terms with happiness. If we can remember the language of gratitude, then you'll be amazed at how it invites you into a deeper experience of the fullness of life. What's really interesting, though, is researchers are just getting really excited about this. There's in medical journal after medical journal. There are these studies in neuroscience that connect, you know, scans of the brain while people are being thankful. I mean, they're, they're just opening up this whole thing about gratitude. But God has been onto it for centuries, literally centuries. The Bible is chock full of men and women who knew the language of gratitude and invited them into an incredible experience of the joy and the happiness that God's life offers to them. One of the most clearly stated places is in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a passage that may be familiar to you. Um, I don't know if you know the history of Paul's relationship with the believers in Thessalonica or not, but if you look at his journeys in Acts, he had this very brief moment with these new believers in Thessalonica. He preached the gospel and uh, shared with them who Jesus was, and a whole bunch of them started responding. But it also stirred up a lot of angst among those that were opposed to the way of Jesus, and so they actually pushed Paul, threatened his life, and got him out of town. And we read through the letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter, that Paul really longed to have a, have a chance to get back with them, to see them, to see their faith in action. He knew the kind of trials and duress that believers in Thessalonica were under. But at the end of that first letter, here's what he writes to them. Three verses, if you're looking for a place to begin memorizing Scripture, this would be a great place. You can knock three out in a very short period of time. Uh, he writes this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. 
Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, I'm captivated by those words at the end of verse 18. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many times have you or someone you know whispered or muttered those words, God, what do you want from me? I can remember my my days working with students uh, in student ministry. My high school students who were just really trying to honor God with their lives would always come to this place, sophomore, junior, senior year, freshman year of college, sophomore year of college, where they would just ask these questions. Craig, what does God want from me? What's, what's his will for my life? One, one of the most popular Google searches on spiritual matters is what's God's will for me? How many of us have whispered that? We've been facing uncertainty or decision. Maybe it's a, a new career path or, or whether we should marry this person, whether we should adopt or foster, whether we should, you fill in the blank. And we said, God, what's your will? God, what do you want? How many of us have maybe done a little more violently? We've shaked our fist at the heavens and said, God, what do you want from me? Or slammed our fist on the table. God, what do you want from me? We're all asking that question, God, what do you want? What's your will for my life? And how many times do we miss that the Bible is crystal clear on a number of occasions what God wants for you? And this is one of those places. What does God want for you? He wants you to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances. Because that's his will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants you to be joyful always. God, God wants you to find this way to find joy in the midst of every moment, to understand that, that he is present in the midst of every moment. There's a reason for joy in whatever you experience. He wants you to get to the place where you can pray continually, where you know that he is right there with you. You can speak to him as a man speaks to a friend. He wants you to know that there is something to be thankful for, something to be grateful for in every moment of your life. That's his will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's something that we need to understand, though. If God wills it, the enemy doesn't want it. If God wills it, the enemy doesn't want it. If God says, this is my will for you, then the enemy doesn't want it. The Bible tells us, there's, tells us that there's one who's opposed to God. His name is Satan, which literally means adversary. He is opposed to you experiencing God's very best in this world. We see it from the garden all throughout history, even into our present day. And if God wills it, if God says, listen, I want you to rejoice always. I want you to pray continually. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. You can bet that the enemy of God doesn't want you to rejoice always. He doesn't want you to pray continually. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to stay concentrated in the midst of prayer? He doesn't want you to give thanks in all circumstances. One of his greatest schemes for humanity is to get you to be an ungrateful person, to be a person whose life is governed by ingratitude, to see the negative in every circumstance rather than seeing the good that's happening around you. If God wills it, the enemy doesn't want it. It's not going to be easy to be a person who rejoices always, who prays continually, who gives thanks in all circumstances. But that's God, God's will for you. And in, in gratitude, that's easy, right? You can look at the people in your life, the people you're married to, the people you work with, the people you go to church with, and you can find all kinds of reasons to complain and to grumble. That's easy. I mean, this has been part of humanity's story since the beginning. 
go back to, to Genesis, and uh, you can see Adam and Eve. God creates them. He places them in what we really consider to be this perfect place. They have so much. All these trees they can eat from, right? But one they're not supposed to touch. And the enemy tempts them rather than seeing all the good that's around them. Rather than being thankful for all that's around them, what are they focused on? What they don't have. Ingratitude versus gratitude. Fast forward to the lives of God's people, uh, Israel. He hears their cries of distress, the Bible tells us in Exodus. He, he raises up Moses to come and to rescue them as he brings them out of Egypt and towards the promised land. What do we find? Here's a people who's been rescued. They've seen God part seas. They have woken up every morning to find this flaky dew on the ground that they can eat and supply their every physical need. And, and what does he find them? What do we find them doing? Why can't we go back to Egypt? Do you remember what we had there? We had onions and we had garlic and we had fish. Hello, you were also slaves who were violently oppressed and so you cried out to God. But rather than focusing on this incredible miracle that God has supplied every single morning, it's not about what they have and being thankful for it and being grateful for it. It's about what they don't have. It's the ingratitude. And isn't that story repeated time and time again? And for how many of us is that story repeated in our life? And if we have forgotten the language of gratitude, we will never, ever be on speaking terms with happiness. So how do we get there? Well, thankfully, the Bible paints for us a whole other story as well. It shares us the story of people who knew the language of gratitude. We can go back to the beginning again. You, you can look at um, Noah. Uh, Noah and his family rescued in an ark. The waters recede. And one of the very first things Noah does is he builds an altar and he sacrifices on that altar to God. Maybe you're wondering, well, how is that Thanksgiving? Well, Noah in that moment is saying, God, you have rescued us, you have saved us, you are deserving of all honor and glory, and so we give you everything. It's a recognition that God is great and powerful and merciful and gracious. You can look at the lives of many of the most faithful men and women in Scripture. Moses, Joshua, Ruth, David, Esther, Elijah, and you can find men and women whose lives are characterized at multiple places by offerings and sacrifices and worship, thanksgiving, and gratitude. Last year, about the same time, the message I preached, because I'm sure you remember it, uh, was, was on Jesus and the thanksgiving that he models. And this idea that thanksgiving precedes the miracle. And how time and time again, Jesus works a miracle, but just before that, he gives thanks. The feeding of the 5,000 raising Lazarus from the dead. The upper room prior to his crucifixion and his resurrection, he gives thanks, how thanksgiving precedes the miracle. You could look and thumb through the, the pages of Paul's letters and find how almost all of them begin with an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving. The, the letter to the first, to Thessalonians, his first letter is, is just like that. Verse two, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look at the, the, the second letter to the Thessalonians. We ought always to thank God for you. And that continues on in letter after letter after letter. Paul knew the language of gratitude. 
Does it surprise us then that Paul is on incredible speaking terms? He has a deep relationship, like, like they're, they're beyond just checking yes and checking no. Like, like, like he is married to joy and it stems from his gratitude, from his willingness to give thanks in all circumstances. He knows that that's God's will for him. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So how do you and I get there? How do we get to become these people that rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances? Well, here's something I think we need to understand about gratitude, is that gratitude is an attitude that is always formed intentionally. Gratitude is an attitude that's formed intentionally. We don't just wake up one day and miraculously, we are thankful and grateful for everything that's around us. It comes by intentionally moment by moment, happening after happening, experience after experience, choosing to direct our eyes to what God has done and to give him thanks for it. It's an attitude that's formed intentionally. As we lean into Christmas, I want to show you a really neat place in Scripture. It's, it's Luke chapter 1. Next week, we'll, we'll launch our official Christmas series. Uh, I'm super stoked about it. Uh, it's just called Simple Christmas. Uh, we're stripping things down and just really looking at the story leading up to Jesus, who Jesus was, and really celebrate all that he is. But I know that for many of you, your, your hearts have kind of already made that brief transition. Uh, those of you that hold out till after Thanksgiving to recognize that uh, uh, the Christmas season, you've kind of finally made that turn. You've joined the rest of us who are, are so much smarter and wiser. Um, it's, it's sarcasm, by the way. Don't take that as an insult. But as we make that transition, um, there's this cool thing in the, what we would call the Christmas story, this encounter in Luke chapter 1. Mary, uh, I think it's just hard for us to comprehend, is this most likely really young teenage girl, right? Uh, most researchers put her between the ages of 13, maybe as young as 12, and, and 18 years of age. Based on what we know about marrying age and her being betrothed to Joseph, um, the, the, the typical age when people gave birth to their first child uh, in, 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 in Judea in that time. She's young. And so just think for a moment, if you're in this room, we have some of you who are between the ages of 12 or 13 and 18. Imagine learning that, that you're going to be having a baby um, and, and it's because of the Holy Spirit. Now place yourself in a culture where being pregnant outside of marriage um, would result in being ostracized or isolated, banished, and sometimes even stoned and killed. Imagine the fear, the trepidation, the worry, the, the shadow that would hang over you if that was the case. And she makes this journey to see her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, um, much later in life than Mary, we, we know through the story that she's pregnant with John the Baptist, and when uh, Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, something incredible happens within Elizabeth. The, the baby leaps inside of her, and it's more than just kicking. Like, like Elizabeth knows this is different. And so she proclaims this blessing over Mary. This, again, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old is hearing someone say, blessed are you, right? And I can only imagine that Mary in that moment is like, oh, Really? But that wasn't Mary's response. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. 
Some versions, this is translated, magnifies the Lord. This is the, the song or the poem that we call the Magnificat. My soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Again, just immerse yourself in that moment. 12, 13 to to 18 years old. Um, You're facing potential stoning and banishment, fractured relationship with a man that you care deeply for. And, and, And what is Mary focused on? How good God is in that moment. He has done great things for me. That doesn't happen unless you're intentional. Mary had every reason that we could give her from our modern context to say, like, like life sucks right now. But no, that's not how she views it. She looks for the good of God in each moment. Gratitude is an attitude that's formed intentionally. Did you know how closely linked um, gratitude is to, to, to what we choose to look for and see in the world? I don't know when the last time is that you purchased a vehicle, um, but I'm amazed as I talk with people that it happens for all of us, unless you're buying a, a Lamborghini or a Maserati. Um, for most of us, we, we get a new-to-us car, and we think that we've got something very special. It's special to us. It's the right color, the right bake, the right model. Uh, and, and we think, man, how, how incredible this is. And we start driving down the road, and what happens that first week with that new-to-us automobile? You see another one just like it, Right? When we bought our Honda Odyssey back in 2015, a white one, I literally thought, this is really cool. I've not seen any other white Honda Odysseys. Now, if you walk out of Target, you're lucky to figure out which van is yours because there's so many white Honda Odysseys around. Why is that? Because my eyes have been trained to see a white Honda Odyssey. When you start looking intentionally for things to be thankful for, and grateful for in all circumstances, you will be amazed how your eyes are trained to find those things that you're thankful for and grateful for. Have you noticed how, how in Scripture the eyes are, are just frequently talked about in relation to our spiritual development? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, set your mind or your eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Intentionally set your gaze to that which is eternal. I think of Psalm 121. Lift your eyes to the heavens. That's where our help comes from. Set your eyes to the God that made you. Set your eyes to the evidence of his goodness and his grace all around you. Jesus says that the eyes are the lamp of the body, that that somehow what we see and what we take in shapes our soul. It shapes our spiritual lives. Or what about the words of the Hebrew writer? Hebrews chapter 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. What you look for so often determines how you experience life around you. And so are you looking for things to be grateful for? Do you know at the heart of that word, thanks, in in Paul's writing, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That word that Paul originally wrote down, what he stroked out with his own pen, were the Greek letters that spelled the word eucharisteo. At the heart of Eucharisteo is the word charis. That's the exact same word that Paul penned multiple places. For it is by grace, charis, 
that you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. Charis is grace. Eucharisteo is recognizing the grace, the undeserved favor of what God has done all around you. And it's present in every moment if you're willing to look for it. If you are breathing right now, it may be raspy, your lungs may be filled with fluid because you're, you're, you're dealing with a respiratory virus, but you still have something to be thankful for. You're breathing in this moment. If you are here and, and you're sitting next to someone, you're not alone, you're not isolated, you have something to be thankful for. We, we drove on paved roads to get here this morning. Either you had transportation, whether it's something you pedaled yourself or you drove or someone rode with you, something to be thankful for. And guys, that's just scratching the surface. Will we recognize the good things that are present in every moment? Because if we can remember the language of gratitude, you'll be on speaking terms and even more with happiness. Deep joy, deep experience of human life will be yours if you can set your mind and your eyes to the good of God that's all around you. But it's not going to happen by accident. You're going to have to be intentional about it. I'm challenged by these words from author Ann Voskamp. I've I've recommended to you probably way more than I should have. You're probably annoyed by it at this point. Uh, her book, 1,000 Gifts, where she chronicles her journey to experiencing deep, profound gratitude in every moment. Here's what she writes. She says, life-changing gratitude does not fasten to a life unless nailed through with one very specific nail at a time. Life-changing gratitude does not fasten to a life unless nailed through with one very specific nail at a time. What are you looking for in life? Here's what I'll, I'll tell you, and you know this, that if we forget the language of gratitude, we will be on speaking terms with all kinds of grumbling and complaining, won't we? Man, if we can remember the language of gratitude that intentional expression of thanksgiving, one nail at a time, God transforms the way we experience the world around us. Are you remembering the language of gratitude? Here's my challenge for you. Um, this is probably the most simple take home uh, from this message. My challenge to you is this, is that you would start making a list and an inventory. Uh, the same type of list and inventory that improved the cardiac health of patients in California. The same type of gratitude that helped raise someone's mental health at a university campus in our country. That you would get a journal. That would be the simplest way to begin. And if some of you are like, I don't like journaling, well, if you just try it. Maybe it's digital. Uh, maybe it's on your computer. That's a simple way for some people. Maybe it's handwritten. And you would just every day start recognizing at the beginning of your day and the end of your day things that you are grateful for. One of the things that amazes me about Anne, who wrote 1,000 Gifts, her journal, like she starts recognizing the simplest thing. There's this moment in the book where she, she's sharing her list from a given day, and she used to loathe doing dishes. Uh, I, I think a few of you probably can identify with that, right? But, but, but as she became more grateful, um, there's this moment where her hands are in the water, and she can see her children playing outside. And she can see the sunlight bouncing off the bubbles in the sink. In that moment, she rinses her hands off and steps away from the sink and goes to her gratitude journal and starts writing about the beauty of the bubbles and the radiance of the sun, 
the laughter of her children and the health of her children. And it transforms her experience of something that for so many just is so loathsome. Would you start keeping a gratitude journal? Would you start keeping an inventory? Maybe for you, you realize that you, like, you try the journal thing, you're not liking it. Would, would you transform your commute to work in the morning? Uh, turn off Rush Limbaugh? Um, he's not especially grateful. <laughs> um, and, and, and would you speak out loud to God and, and name the things you're grateful for? Uh, would you transform your shower in the morning um, instead of zoning out or, or running through the grocery list, would you just name things out loud in the shower, right? The people that live with you already know you're weird, so you're not going to frighten them in any way. But start naming the things you're thankful for. And as you get the language of gratitude down, you're going to find that your deep experience of joy and wellness increases. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude is not just an attitude that's formed intentionally. It's an attitude for every season. You know, there's a lot to be said of um, 30 days of Thanksgiving. There's a lot to be said of these 60 days from November 1st through the end of the year when, when people are intentionally a little more grateful, a little more thankful. But when, when Paul says all, he doesn't say just in a specific season of the year. He says give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you. I, I don't think we can miss this. There is a deep connection between the general feelings of goodwill towards men that we sing about during our holiday season, how we treat one another, the extra patience that many exhibit, not all, but many exhibit in, in traffic and in lines and in restaurants, because it's Christmas. I don't think it's just because it's Christmas or because it's Thanksgiving. It's because people are intentionally thinking about the things that they're grateful for, and that transforms your experience of what's happening around you. I bet grateful people tip a little bit better. Maybe even after church. <laughs> Just an aside I'll share with you, because um, I think it gives us a chance to influence our, our world. Uh, I was eating at a restaurant with some other ministers uh, here a couple weeks ago, and a waitress uh, came up and shared with us uh, that, that one of the uh, waitresses that was working our table um, doesn't have a great view of Christians. Uh, because typically, uh, she encounters them after church services, and they're demanding and grumpy and horrible tippers. Man, what kind of indictment is that on people who are supposed to know the love of Christ? And one of our core values at Lebanon Christian Church is generous. What kind of transformative effect does it have when people not only see us pray at our tables, but live, leave great tips and are generous? But you know one of the gatekeepers to generosity? It's gratitude. It's not until we recognize that all we have comes from him that we're willing to share it with other people. Gratitude is an attitude for every season. It's for the seasons where careers are good and pay is great and, and, and love is flowing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reason for gratitude is an attitude for that season of life when you're, when you're newly married and like, uh, you know, you just... You can't get enough of each other. Like, it's, 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 a, it's an attitude for that season where kids are behaving. It's an attitude for that season where, 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 you know, bills are caught up. It's an attitude for that season when health is well. But it's an attitude for that season when things are rotten and things are broken. Gratitude is an attitude for every season. 
And we will be intentional about it and naming and seeing the goodness of God that he has done great things for us, as Mary said. In every moment, he transforms our experience of this world. Will we be people who intentionally go back to the Father and give him thanks? There's this compelling story in Luke's gospel. Uh, I forget the chapter now. I want to say 14 or 15, but I could be wrong on that. Where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Uh, 10 men who knew what it was like to be cut off from the people around them. And of those 10, only one comes back to say thank you. Only one comes back to say thank you. Let's not be those people who God brings healing to and, don't, don't, and we choose not to return to him to give thanks. Let's not be that kind of person. In uh, 2005, December 11th, the shark and whale guide uh, was on a boat uh, about 30 miles off the coast of San Francisco, so out in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, when, he, when they got out there, uh, he and the people on his boat uh, recognized this really odd sight. Uh, there was a humpback whale they estimated at 50 feet long, weighing more than 50 tons. And, and, and she was struggling. She'd become entangled in some commercial crab traps. And so uh, he did the right thing. He radioed for some experienced divers that, that, that do this all the time. They help free whales off the coast of California. And, and they came and they worked for hours to free this whale, which is a treacherous mission. Just one slap of the tail can kill multiple people. They freed the whale. And you know what that whale did? Divers are in the water, you know, the little fins on their feet, keeping them afloat, arms moving. That humpback whale, all 50 tons of her, moved up to every single diver and nudged them with her nose and then swam away. Animal researchers just said, that's, that's the whale showing gratitude. If a whale knows how to come back to the one that supplies for it and say thank you, how much more can we? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Lebanon Christian Church, we have completed 35 years as a part of God's body this month. 35 years since Lebanon Christian Church began. Can you imagine what will happen in our community in the next 35 if we are a people characterized by gratitude? Imagine what would happen if our voice is not a negative voice on Lebanon chatter. That hurt a little bit. <laughs> Imagine if our voice is not a negative voice on social media. Imagine if we are a people that lead the way by being grateful and recognizing the evidence of God's grace in every moment. We will transform this community. And you know what? We have the greatest reason in the world to be grateful and to be thankful. God sent his one and only son to become human, to absorb into his life the very thing that separates us from him, to die our death, to rise again, so that those who believe in him can experience his goodness and his glory in every moment, both now and forevermore. And no one can take that away. You know the link between rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances? It's understanding that a timeless God is present in all those things. The same God that brought you joy when your family was gathered around that table on Thursday is the same God whose joy can be evidenced when all that family flies away and drives home because God doesn't change. He brought the same joy in that moment. 
The, the, the same God who, who gave his son for you is the God that's present with you. And if you follow him present in you through that miraculous, mind-blowing thing called the Holy Spirit, and he's right there, you are never alone. When everyone leaves, when everyone dies, you're not alone. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because God is right here. And there's nothing in this world that can take away the incredible gift of love and life that God has supplied to you in Jesus Christ. Guys, this is the key to Romans 8.28. We know that all things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. You can approach every moment, every tragedy, every trial, every joy, knowing that God is going to work in this because of who he is and what he's done. May we be a people who remember the language of gratitude and not only on speaking terms with happiness, but man, are in a deep relationship with joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love, your life, your hope. God, help us to be people who see you, that you're doing great things for us in all of our moments. Help us to be men and women, young and old, who are on deep speaking terms with happiness because we're people who know gratitude. God, guide us in this, lead us in this. For your glory alone, amen.